Well, hello there, and welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. Let's catch up with our friend Stanley Stankup and see what he has to say about new ideas for the church. Well, hello, everybody. I hope you're ready for those new ideas. I have an entire bank full of them. Well, you know about that, Stanley. Last week, you gave us an idea that didn't quite turn out to be so good. Last week, you told us that tradition is whatever one wants it to be. That because people in the past didn't look like us or dress like us now, then we don't need to have any standards in how we worship or any standards about how we engage with Christian tradition. Well, wasn't that great? Didn't you feel liberated? Well, you know, not really. And to be honest, I don't think it's a very good idea at all, Stanley Stanka. I think it does matter how we worship. I think it really does matter how we engage with Christian tradition. Christian tradition is not about us, but instead it is about God. Tradition is very important, and we need to understand that there are really essential things that we are called to do in the church. Well, so are you saying that we should just like a style of music just because someone else did? No, Stanley, that would be embracing nostalgia, not tradition. Well, then what are Christian traditions? Christian traditions are things such as participating in the sacraments of baptism or the Lord's Supper. Things like prayer, assembling together on the Lord's Day, preaching the Word, reading the Word evangelizing to the lost, all of these things are essential aspects of Christian tradition. Well, all right then, since you didn't like that old idea, would you like to try another one of my new ideas? Well, Stanley, last week's new idea turned out to be a bad idea, and it wasn't really new at all, but let's go ahead and see what you have for us this week. Okay, well, again, since you didn't like last week's, I'll, I'll have another coin on, on me then, all right? All right um, Oh, let me, let me find the coin. Um, oh, there, oh, this one's perfect for you. Yes, yes, yes. This is the one mm -hmm. you need. Here you go. Now, this is quite an interesting coin. On one side, it says, the earth is the kingdom. That's interesting. On the other side, it says, idol for the gates of heaven. And now that idol is spelled I-D-L-E, meaning neutral, like your car is just sitting there. And then again... So this is an interesting coin that we've got here, yeah. Stanley Stanko. I know, I think it will buy you a very good new idea. So just slip it into the bank, right here at the bank of new ideas. There we go. All right, you ready for it? Your new idea is the new creation is all around you. You just have to embrace it. Well, that is an interesting idea, Stanley Stankup. And if I understand you correct, you're saying that the new creation really is here. All we have to do is embrace it. So this is the whole idea of something like a new Jerusalem or new bodies and things of that nature? Yes, yep. All, that's right. You don't have to worry about the fallen creation or any of the troubles of the old world. And you don't have to worry about souls that are trapped in the sinful nature because you are in the new creation. Well, don't worry about stumbling. Just embrace the new creation and all of its kingdom living. Well, that is interesting. We're going to have to go to the studio and talk about that. Okay. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And now we are all together back in the studio. So thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to be talking again about the seven deadly lies that are there in the church. And the lie we're talking about today is all about utopia. It's built on the premise that the primary reason that God calls people is simply so they can live in a utopia. This idea is a stumbling block for the church because it denies the fact that we are still living in the fallen creation where all people are born with the nature to sin. 
Stumbling into this lie can cause people to become idolatrous and think that they have the power to establish the kingdom here on earth rather than trusting Christ to be Lord. So again, thanks for joining us. We're here in the studio. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are a few other voices here with me today. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. And those of you in the audience, please send us your thoughts and your questions. And with that being said, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Pastor Anthony, would you pray for us today? Yes, I will. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the meditations of our hearts here in the studio and at home, and may the words of our mouths be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us. You can check us out. Please be supporting our YouTube channel. We've had some good growth on Facebook. YouTube, we've had a difficult time with that, so please go over there to our YouTube channel and subscribe. And of course, download our podcast and carry it with you. Today, we are talking about this, um, well, proposition, this new idea that our skunk friend, Mr. Stanley Stankup, has given us that says, the new creation is all around you. And all you really need to do is just embrace it. Now, this is something which is really fascinating. It is something which has been with the church for a long time, and it's taken off different forms throughout the different years. But this is the idea that God really only wants to call us because he simply wants us to live in a utopian paradise. This is the same idea that we've seen people all the way back to the New Testament have about Christianity and about Jesus. And we see that even with Peter, the apostle who Jesus is going to do so much work through. This same apostle asks a very interesting question. So we're going to look real quick to Matthew chapter 16 and kind of see some early stages of this. So Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, read as follows. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes to be killed and on the third day be raised. But in verse 22, Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. In verse 23, he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. There in that scripture, we found Peter coming to Jesus, saying, Jesus, you're, you're supposed to be, you know, Lord, why are you going to suffer and die? And Jesus looks at him and says, you're not setting your mind on things above. This idea that we could live in a world without suffering, this utopia, it does become a stumbling block when we believe that the new creation has fully come here. This stumbling block, it again believes that the suffering that is in the world is created purely because of worldly structures and not because of the sin nature that runs through all the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. Now, of course, we can look around the world and see that there clearly are some wicked structures out there and things that have been instituted that are sinful. But they're not just sinful for no reason. There's hearts and minds of people behind these institutions and things which are diabolical. And it is truly the sin nature that originates all of this. And this worldview, this lie that says the new creation is now, they believe that if we can just change the structures of the earth, we'll no longer have suffering because it pins the reason for the suffering on the structures rather than the sin that is deep behind all of these structures. So. 
As we get into this, I know Pastor Amanda was saying we have to keep in mind a certain disclaimer about the relationship with the coming of the kingdom and the idea that the kingdom is being revealed. Would you just talk with us about that for a moment? Yes. Yeah, so there is tension that has to be held that uh, in Christ's life and ministry and death and resurrection, he ushered in the new kingdom, a, a new way of relating to creation, new way of relating to one another, new way of relating to God. However, that kingdom has not yet come in its fullness. So we have to keep that the here and the not yet in tension with one another so that we can truly speak orthodoxly uh, about the world around us and about God. All righty. So let's talk about that coin that we saw there that Mr. Stanley Stankup gave us. Um, there were two sides to it. And we're going to talk about both sides in turn. Now, last week when we were talking about that first slide, both sides of the coin had different versions of the same thing. This week, there really are some radical different sides of this, but they ultimately had the same goal. Now, the first side that we're going to talk about is says, idle for the gates of heaven. Now, again, this is idle, I-D-L-E, so kind of like putting your car in neutral and coasting. And this is the idea, and in the Church of the Nazarene, we might have the phrase sanctified and petrified, but you've seen it appear differently throughout history. This idea that once you are saved, you're always saved. Nothing can really cost you your salvation. Grace becomes cheap, and life is just a liminal waiting room where you're waiting to go into this new utopian paradise. Now, this obviously has a stark contrast to what we are taught within the true traditions of Christianity, things like the Great Commission, even the Didache um, emphasizes this, that in the church we're called to do just about anything as long as we're not idle or advancing sin. And I don't want us to spend too much side on this side of the coin, too much time there, because it's one that's not as prevalent or prevalent in the modern day and age as it has been before, though it's obviously been very prevalent throughout history. But it is just this idea that, well, heaven's out there, so I sit in the waiting room. Doesn't matter what I do here and now, just wait here for that. Um, let's have some thoughts on this in the studio before we get to the other side. What are our, our thoughts on this? I know, Pastor Mike, you had found a, a scripture for us out of Ephesians on this. Would you share that with us? Yeah. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the uh, Ephesians in uh, chapter 5, verse 15. It says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so there's an understanding uh, that Jesus taught us what, what the will of God is, but also there's evil still exists. And so we are to be on guard and be careful uh, of how we live our life. Yeah, Pastor Amanda, any thoughts on this idea where you're just kind of sitting idle, you're in neutral, you know, the stumbling block that that can become? Yeah, um, I think it, it's a odd like you said, it's not a new idea, really. It's, it's a quite ancient one that probably even predates Jesus's ministry. I mean, you could probably take it back uh, much further than that. But it is an odd one to be a part of our religion because just how many times God gives God's people commands. Like, I mean, you have the first command ever given to Adam and Eve is to do something. And so it, it seems odd that, but there are many people and, and many uh, philosophies in our world that kind of say, you know, just just wait for it, that that life will come, uh, good things will come if you just kind of like hold back. And, and there is, I don't know, it's just, it's very interesting to me just how popular this one is. And I mean, I guess we can chalk it up to the sin nature, obviously, um, but uh, it, it just doesn't make sense. Even a cursory view or uh, read through our scriptures, through Christian tradition and our history would see uh, the way that the church uh, continues to minister is through action. Yeah. Pastor Mike? 
Well, you know, there's an old saying that says idleness is the devil's playground. And so, you know, this is not just for unbelievers, but this is for believers as well. So once we're called into the kingdom of God, we're not called to be idle and just sit around for, you know, the calling of us being home. But we have work to do and purpose and uh, as service to do in that kingdom, like Amanda said, that has broken through, but is not yet fully here. Yeah, so let's go to the other side of the coin. This one is much more common in the modern day and age. And this is the idea that the earth is heaven. This is the mentality that the kingdom of God is fully here on earth. And you really shouldn't have any aspirations of something beyond that because we are here to make a utopia in the world around us. Now, this side of the coin usually is a gateway into certain ideas such as the idea that people are not naturally sinful, that people are all basically good and they have no sin nature at all whatsoever. Therefore, if they have any such conviction, whether it be about something they desire, what they're going to do next, it must be of God because the only reason people can ever have convictions is because they're good and everything must therefore be naturally going towards good. If you have made a step towards the future, you've made a step closer to good. Now, this same mentality believes that the only reason people can suffer is because of external forces, maybe tradition from the past, whatever it may be. There's this idea that only worldly systems and things around us can cause suffering. But again, this idea, it's not totally coherent because they know to an extent that there are things which are not right, that wickedness and evil is out there, but they don't really want to put the blame there on the sin nature. They just want to pin it on things which are product of the sin nature. And this mentality really does aspire to have utopia here and now. Rather than the other side of the coin that's just sitting idle waiting for it, they're in the mentality that says, we've got to do it now. And in this, you don't have to guard against evil yourself personally because, again, you're going for utopia, therefore you can't do anything evil. And you don't have to aspire to some greater kingdom in the future because you're wanting it here and now. So you want that instant gratification of utopia more or less than waiting for something that's a little bit different. Now this mentality, it does lead itself towards idolatry and it comes from those who believe this form of kingdom living honestly is a moment where you can force societies into a form of righteousness where there is no offense, no suffering, no differences between people and everything is just kind of like a clean, blank, almost artless <laughs> slate where everything looks identical, where there's really nothing at all. There's not the different graces and gifts that people have, not the different challenges that people overcome, but everything is just kind of monolithically uniform. And of course, it would be great if we could have a world where people are free of suffering and there are no um, things that people have to overcome. But the truth is, Christ continually tells us time and time in the New, New Testament that this is not where we are. We are still in the fallen creation. He is going to come again. But the truth is, right now, we are still around. There's going to be persecution and things of that. Um, Pastor Mike, I know you found a scripture that you wanted to share on this too out of Mark. Yeah, out of the gospel according to Mark in uh, chapter 13, which is kind of like Mark's uh, little bit of apocalyptic literature there in, inside that gospel. Um, it starts at verse 9 saying, As for yourselves, be aware, for they will hand you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them. Verse 10 says, At the good news... And the good news must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you at that time, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. 
And uh, verse 12 says, Brother will betray brother to death, and father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. All right, so in this side of the coin, the earth is the kingdom, those who think they can make this happen, they typically make themselves out to be idols. They they forget that you can't force people to have righteous hearts. You know, you can't put into law righteousness. You can't force people to have changes in their hearts. And love does not force behavior. Christ's love comes with the great mercy and severity of Christ Jesus, which cuts people off from their old self and causes them to be born again and enables them to be born again. And it's very loving. Christ leaves us with a choice. It's very merciful, very severe. And people still need transformation. But this worldview kind of, it kind of imagines that everybody is is already born again, that we, we aren't born with the sin nature. And that really does mess up, well, what then is the purpose of Christ if he's not to be our savior and redeemer, if we don't need saving and redeeming? But this mentality, it kind of rejects the notion that people really are born with a sinful nature and that sinful nature really does have consequences. It actually does some things really well to point out things that are unjust in the world around us, but it takes to put the blame on things that aren't really the root cause of it. It doesn't look at sin being the cause. It doesn't look at this as a spiritual matter as much as it looks at it just being a very materialistic matter. So this side of the coin, again, it really does believe that suffering is created on earth because of worldly structures and not because of the sin nature. And sure, as I've said before, there are a lot of wicked structures that have been put on this earth. There are currently many out there and there will continue to be them until Christ returns. And we must realize that the correct response to them is to combat them with Christ as our Lord, not as idols thinking we can wish away evil. Only Christ has the power to transform. Well, and that's one of the great um, problems with these, with really both sides of the coin, but um, is that it it robs the ability of accountability to sin. And of course, we know it is the evil the in, the, of, of the devil, the enemy that comes to rob, steal, and destroy, uh, steal, kill, and destroy, but it's also a robbing of the great mystery of God transforming lives um, and the mystery of God coming again. So yes, this is a very, I don't know, I'll, we'll, we'll hold out to the end to see if this is what I believe, but, but I, I'm already leaning toward Stanley Stankup's ideas not being new, <laughs> but really not being very good either. Uh, Pastor Amanda, your thoughts on this side of the coin? Well, I think this coin, um, I know Stanley Stinkup sold this uh, idea to us as a new idea, um, and we've kind of discussed already a little bit. It's not all that new. I think one of the great examples of this kind of ideology is really kind of, and I'm going to phrase this as carefully as I can, but, but things that happened and philosophies that happened during the American and French revolutions. Now, I'm really grateful for a lot of those philosophies that gave us things like democracy and uh, equal rights and stuff like that. So please hear everything I'm saying. But a lot of those philosophies were founded in this idea that if humanity just strived enough, if just worked enough, if just did, you know, created the right structure, created a democracy versus a monarchy, um, if the, we just did the right things, then we would reach this utopia, um, which is actually utopia is the name of a book of a, oh, I can't remember where he came from, but a philosopher that really helped perpetrate a lot of these ideas that would give us good things like democracy. But again, like I'm saying, their foundation really wasn't found in this idea of, of the sacredness of humanity as created in the image of God, but this idea of just humans within ourselves could, could create this reality. Now, 
uh, I don't know, almost not quite 300 years later. I'm bad at math, but so far, you know, into the future after the American Revolution, we very obviously can see that, again, although democracy is really great, it has failed a lot to do the things that it, it promised it would do, that we don't live in a utopia. We, we don't have um, the perfect system to, to create justice, to, to give out justice. Um, and so there, there's a lot of issues in our world that we keep trying to fix. And oftentimes they're kind of Band-Aid fixes. We just kind of plaster the facade and like, oh, it's good. You know, we're, we forget to deal with that foundational structural issues. And then when I say structural, I mean the deeply rooted issues, the foundation of these things. And so we have to kind of look at them more deeply. And I think that's what Pastor Dylan is trying to get yeah. us to. We have to realize that the sin nature is what is responsible for these. Our world has fallen. Again, this has been with us this oldest time. <laughs> the world has fallen because of sin. And whenever you look at things around us, and again, you look at American history, we have wonderful luxuries in American history. Um, far beyond just about anything you could have ever imagined throughout time. I mean, most people, even people who are in poverty in America, are still living more luxurious lives than what you've seen historically. But at the same time, you're still going to find people who are suffering. I mean, even people who are wealthy, who have suffering, as Viktor Frankl says, you know, it's like a gas. It will fill the volume of its container. It doesn't matter where you're really at in life, whether you're in a concentration camp or you're somewhere where you just stub your toe at home, suffering will always come to consume you. And the best way for the church to respond to all this is to realize that the sin nature is really the driving force of things, wicked things which want to cause turmoil, the snares in their, the world. And as the church, we have to respond to things in the world, looking at them for what they really are, seeing that sin is responsible for this and we need to address this on the level of sin and we have to realize that we, as individuals, I mean, we're all here pastors, um, but we don't have the power to, to transform hearts. It's Christ Jesus who has the power to save. Mm -hmm. um, no pastor has the ability to go out there and save someone's eternal soul and, and offer them the sanctification that the Holy Spirit can. We are only able to point people to God. And whenever we think that we have this power to manipulate people in that way, we've really become idolatrous. We have to realize that sin is what is behind the, the sufferings in the world, and we have to, to look towards that. So wrapping up both sides of this coin, both of them believe that the primary goal of being a Christian, the primary goal for a relationship of God, is just to move towards utopia. And on one side, you're waiting for the utopia. The other side, you're trying to create one now. And again, that turns into idolatry very quickly. And one thinks they have failed if they haven't put together a utopian society. Now, this was sold to us on the idea, and you see both sides of the coin. I mean, it is a coin. It's put in the slot. It is sold to us on this premise that this is why God brings us here. And you often find people say, well, I'm convicted about this, therefore it must be good. We've got some interesting footage on the issue of conviction from St. Teresa of Avila. Avila, how are we going to pronounce? Uh, you know, it's one of those things where I've read her name a lot. I've read her works, but I've never actually heard yeah. it said out loud very many times. So St. Teresa of Avila, um, we're going to look at some old footage we found of her when she's talking on the issue of conviction. So let's cut to that if we can. As far as I can see and by experience understand, whatever claims to come from God should be accepted only in as far as it agrees with the sacred scriptures. But if I should find that a seeming revelation contradicts scripture even a little, then no matter how convinced I may have been before that it came from God, however deep that conviction may have been, 
I will be incomparably more convinced now that it comes from Satan. In this case, there is no need to ask for signs to confirm the authenticity of the alleged revelation, nor to attempt to discern from which spirit it proceeds. This contradiction of scripture is so clear a sign of the devil's presence that if all the world were to assure me that the alleged revelation came from God, I would not believe it. And We too would do well not to believe it. <laughs> yeah, so let's get to some scriptures that point us in a positive direction. Because again, if all you do is deconstruct stuff, then you're just somebody who's a naysayer who doesn't really contribute much. We want to be moving people to the point where people understand who we are as the church and what wonderful things we can do. Because even though we do not live in the new creation, Christ hasn't returned. Um, if anyone out there um, has been to the new creation, you have been judged by the judge of the living of the dead. And you're, I don't know, th there might be some, some people out there who, who have some... Some craziness that needs to be addressed. If so, please send them to us in an email and we will talk with you. But in all honesty, we haven't made it to the new creation yet. We're still in this moment where we are called to go out with the Great Commission. And even though we are not in that new creation, Christ still wants us to have joy. He wants us to have the joy unspeakable and filled with glory. He wants us to be people who are having wonderful lives. And even though, again, we do not live in that wonderful full kingdom where Christ has come and resurrected us with new bodies, we still can have wonderful things going on in life here. And Christ wants us to have happiness. He wants us to have joy. And he wants us to live righteous lives while we are here. So let's look at some scriptures that remind us of where we are going and some good scriptures that give us affirmation of where we're at now. Because again, Christians for the last 2,000 years have been questioning this. You have people who are worried when their loved ones passed away. Have they missed it? What's happening to them? And the New Testament does a lot to address these questions and remind us really where we are. Pastor Mike, I know you've been the one who's been pulling a lot of scripture for us. Would you take us now to 2 Timothy and share us a little bit what you found on the issue of judgment and resurrection? Absolutely. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, be attentive. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to miss. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. All right, so this is really an exciting text. And I know it's not the, the lovey-dovey, here's your golden pie in the sky message that so often we want. And both of these sides of the coin, by the way, they're really hungry for that. They want that golden pie and they want it bad. But the truth is, we're here in fallen creation, but we can have wonderful things going on in life. Jesus tells us, he says, there's gonna be people who persecute you. Have patient endurance. Again, we get a great list of things which are really affirming. It's sort of like you've got a when you're a kid and you've you've you know fallen and, and hurt yourself, and somebody comes over to you, um, I mean my dad's right here with me in the studio, you know having dad come over to you and tell you it's it's not that bad, you know good things are happening. I remember when I was a kid. I don't know if dad remembers this. Um, it was one of the first times I was riding a bike when I turned five years old. I remember on my great grandmother's porch I was given a bike that looked like a motorcycle, 
When I look at it as an adult, I'm like, that does not look like a motorcycle. <laughs> but to like a five-year-old, you can't tell the difference between it and a dirt bike. And one of the first times I was riding it, I was going down this big hill and fell off of the bike and scraped my nose. And I thought it was the worst thing ever. And I remember dad and Derek running down there. Derek's my brother to kind of pick me up. And they were like, yeah, it's, it's not that bad. And, and they didn't respond in such a way that was the end of the world. So I was like, yeah, I guess it's not the end of the world. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that or not. Oh, I do remember it. And it was pretty bad. <laughs> but I thought <laughs> it was not that bad. Well, you know, the thing is, uh, maybe it's not the best story to bring up. But this is the fun of doing things live. The truth is, Christ teaches us the seriousness of where we are. When he's talking to Peter and he's talking about, I am going to suffer and die, this is a serious thing. And it is something which is so tragic to see God come take on human flesh and then die. But to also hear of that resurrection, to see that resurrection, to live with the Savior who has been resurrected is beautiful. And that is really what we find going on here. Here in the Second Timothy text, this idea that yeah, there's going to be some, some opposition. There's going to be some persecution. But go ahead, proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether it's favorable or it's unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, encourage, and do this with the utmost patience in teaching. In this, we do find some, some really exciting things. Pastor Mike? Well, you know, back to the story, you know, the, the, what really was happening there, even though the, there was a, a, you know, a pretty good little accident on the bike, it, that we're in this together and that we're there to comfort and, and console one another. And to be honest, the things that the early church went through, and many in the church of, in many places are going through today, is pretty heinous, uh, uh, you know, things of, of persecution. What we need to realize that even in the midst of all of these things, we can find that higher level of love and joy knowing that God is working with us and through us to bring about, um, you know, reconciliation in this world. Yeah, and let's go now to 1 Corinthians. Pastor Amanda, could you share us this text? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 52. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed as well. All right. Really exciting message. It's something giving you hope, aspirations, things to look forward to. But it's also not one that tells you to be idle now. We look at this, and again, what we have in here is this idea that something has happened. The kingdom of God, it is being revealed. It is coming to life. Great things are happening. And we have stories to tell. We have things to share. We have this great mystery to look forward with and to preach and share with others. So this, again, it reminds us that those who are faithful, they're not going to be harmed. Let's go on to the, the last scripture I want us to share now from Revelation chapter 2. And I may let Pastor Anthony read this if he, if he can. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Beware, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have affliction. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. Thank you very much, Pastor Anthony. And for the record, I don't say I'm going to let Anthony do this if he can, because I don't think he's capable of it. The software that we use here in the studio is sometimes finicky, so it's almost a, a bit of a, a hope and chance. Um, 
there are things which are, are clearly from God, and then you get technology. <laughs> um, we'll leave that there for you. So what we find here is, again, this idea that those who endure with Christ, they're not going to be harmed in the second death. There is going to be persecution. And again, this comes out of the book of Revelation where this letter to the church there in Smyrna, they're getting praised for the works that they've had and the perseverance. And they're being assured, continue persevering, continue on the road you are. You are on the way of life, continue like you are. Those who conquer with me, they're not going to be harmed with the second death. So does anybody have any, any thoughts on these different scriptures we have? Do they kind of leave you in a, a more assured moment where there is hope? While we have Christ coming to save us, and there is regeneration that happens there when we are saved, and the Holy Spirit does come to sanctify us, we still know that that day of glorification hasn't really happened yet. So there we can throw in a little bit of um, theology straight out of the Nazarene manual. But this idea is that we are at a place where there is a lot of hope, and we can have great assurance in that. Pastor Mike? Well, you know, I think the uh, well, Christ give us principles to live by, and so the issues that, that uh, surround us, you know, the, the real hope and mystery of Christ transforming people to use God's people, use not to be idle, but to share the good news for the mystery of God to transform and change lives is really the great hope of all the issues that the world is facing. And so, uh, you know, again, I, I can't say this enough, that this utopia to me, robs the transformation of great mystery that God is, is that's taking place now, but also will take place when Christ returns. Well, let me, let me build something there. Most of us here have seen the movie 1917. If you're out in the audience, you may have. I've talked about it quite a bit. Amanda has watched half of it. <laughs> yes. The theater. Like the first 45 minutes. Yeah, the, the theater lost power and then a, the projector, I don't know, broke or something. So. Yeah. Well, one of the things I, I thought when I was watching that, and when I generally watch a lot of war movies, I look at this and I, my immediate gut instinct is to say, this must be hell. Mm. There was a moment in the movie 1917, I'm going to spoil it for Amanda, where I realized that it's not hell because God's presence is there with those suffering in this, whether they be mm. soldiers, civilians, it doesn't matter. God's hand is still there with them. So it can't be hell because hell is the separation of God. And I realized that if hell must actually be that much worse than mm. what we imagine hell to be, what if we, we think then, why do we want to look at where we're at now and say this must be the utopia? Imagine how much we really are robbing ourselves from the, the truth of, of, of God. Pastor Amanda, I see you've got that, <laughs> that look like you've got something to say. Well, I, I'm just I'm, I'm consolidating several thoughts. Um, but you were talking about a film and there's a, the TV series MASH. There's a really fantastic line in that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched it. It, it kind of came out during, I think it came out during the Vietnam War, but it was about the Korean War and these... Uh, doctors who are working on on people and one of the lines someone just kind of says well war is hell and the other guy responds hawkeye does he says well no actually they're different in my opinion war is worse and the pastor who's there who's he's the the uh uh chaplain and he says why do you say that he said well in hell there are no innocent bystanders and war is just chock full of them and I think the reason I bring that up is, one, you mentioned that, but I think we, we try to look at our world and we're trying to make sense of the madness. And both sides of the coins are kind of trying to do that within their own power. You know, one side says, well, the chaos is here. I can't do anything about it, so I'm just going to sit back and wait. The other side says, I can do something about it, but 
again, I can do it. Like if I just work hard enough and have enough power and have enough strength and have enough intelligence, I can make the world a better place. And they both fall short of, of, of really doing anything with the chaos. And so we also come to this idea of hell and you were saying hell is the absence of God's presence and that's definitely true. But there's also this theological thought that says God is known by where God is not. Uh, mm. God is present by not being present. Uh, we know who God is because God allows there to be space for us not to be with God. God is a God of free will and love and beauty and strength. And so all these ideas, and then I'm trying to like <laughs> on the spot put together, is saying this is that, like you said, God is present. And even in those times where we give up and say, yeah, this is a God forsaken place. Even then, God is there. Yeah. yeah. Anthony? Even in our laments. I was just going to say that... Um, to Pastor Amanda's point, I feel like a big flaw in the, uh, you know, like utopian side of the coin, the side that's seeking to uh, manifest that itself, is sort of like in a question of portion, you know. Um, it's one thing to go and try to like evangelize and bring people into the kingdom of God and that sort of thing. It's, it's another thing to try to institute utopia throughout the world, you know. Like that's something that is um, within the power of God. It's not within our power as his servants. Um, and so I think it is sort of like a, a por I think there's a, a portion aspect to it where we're not the redeemers of creation. That's Christ. Yeah. Um, we're his servants. We will water the seeds and he will make the seeds grow. Yeah. And that's really where a lot of people just want to will to power this into existence. Let's go ahead and cut to our other camera. We're going to head to the other side and we're going to look at what Stanley Stankup has to say about this. We're going to give him a little bit of retaliation and see what he says. I'm back with Mr. Stanley Stankup and Stanley, we talked about your new idea. This idea that the new creation is now, and we have determined that that was a lie. <gasps> what? But I got it from the bank of new ideas. How can it be a lie if it's a new idea? Uh, maybe just no one's really lived it out before. Whether or not no one has lived it out before is irrelevant because it goes against the principles that Christ taught us to live by. Uh, how, how is that so? We do not yet live in the fullness of God's kingdom. And while it is true that we are regenerated and we become new creatures when we are saved, we know that we are still living in this fallen earth and we are waiting for Christ to return. This is a great mystery and there are many people who will try to explain the mystery of the second advent and there really is a, a big mystery around this and I'm not here to explain that, I'm here to give assurance on what we do know. We do know that even if we pass away from this life, there is going to be a bodily resurrection where Christ will judge the living and the dead. And those whom he has deemed worthy, they will not be harmed in the second death, and they will be brought to live with him in his kingdom with a new body. So why can't we live like we are in the new creation now? Well, because we are not in the new creation now. We must still guard against evil and against sin within our own lives. If we pretend that we are in the new creation, we will make stumbling blocks for ourselves and others because we are denying the truth about the world around us. But won't the world transform around us if, if we just believe it will? 
Well, we are called to live into God's kingdom for sure. We're supposed to be doing the work of the gospel, and as Christ reveals his kingdom to the world around us, the church does have a very important role in that. But the truth is, is we do not get to bring about the kingdom on our terms. None of us, and again, we're all creatures of God, we do not have the power of God to bring about such transformation. And it would be sinful for us to play God and to believe that we do. That would be idolatrous where we make ourselves out to be idols. We must live life here as Christ taught us to live life here. We must live with mercy and love, looking to bring others to know Jesus. Well, if you're not sold on this idea, how about another one then? Well, why don't we wait and see about that next week? Okay, sounds good to me. All right, well, we'll see you then. Alrighty, so let's come back together in the studio and what are our final thoughts on this topic? I know so many times people, they kind of feel a little hopeless if they don't see the fruits of their labors immediately, but we are called to plant seeds. So don't feel discouraged if you don't see an immediate return on that because we don't live in the, the new creation yet. And we know that there is tension between where we're at now and where things are going to be, but nonetheless, Christ wants us to have joy. So, any final thoughts? Pastor Mike, I'll let you share yours. Well, I think Stanley Stankup is not really selling a new idea. And to be honest, it's, it's an old idea, but it's a bad idea that we are not living in a utopia. And it diminishes not only the incarnation of Christ Jesus and why he came to share life with us, but it also diminishes the work of the cross and Christ suffering with creation and humanity. So uh, definitely this is a very bad idea. I wonder what you think uh, out there, you, you uh, listeners. They probably think <laughs> a lot of things are a bad <laughs> idea. They're probably looking at that skunk saying, what, are these, what in the world's going on? Anthony, your thoughts? Um, I'm happy that Mike brought up the incarnation because I think there's an incarnational aspect to the church in relation to New Jerusalem and the new creation also. Um, and so, you know, Christ was and he was incarnated and he is uh, for that matter. But, um, you know, we recognize that he was in the right relationship with God. And that doesn't mean that everything was in right relationship with God just because he was incarnate. And I think in the same way, the um, church foreshadows New Jerusalem, the new creation, in that the church should be by the Holy Spirit uh, being made into the right relationship with God and foreshadowing what is to come in New Jerusalem also. Amen. Pastor Amanda? Well, this may be saying the same thing for a hundred times, but yeah, to echo what Pastor Mike and Pastor Anthony have said, um, although we cannot live as if the kingdom has come in its fullness, we are called to live in the fullness of the kingdom. Amen. Amen. And, and yeah. that is exactly when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And we see others say this. Mm -hmm. We see others. The kingdom of heaven, it comes to us. And again, there is mystery in this. It comes to us. Heaven comes down. Glory can come in and fill our soul. It can move us. We can have the presence of God in our lives. But yet we know that that day of, of resurrection, that day of, of judgment, where we get new bodies, those moments have not yet come. But at the same time, we are still kill, called to live in the fullness of, of what we have been commissioned for. Again, we have been given a great commission. And there's a lot of things that in there, and we need to be fully living into that. We need to be fully answering the call which God gives us, and that's where we are. 
So thank you for joining us again. We hope you've had a, a good time with us. Then just your thoughts, questions, and comments. So I'll go ahead and close this out in prayer if we may. So let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to, to step into the great call that you have placed on our lives to be men and women of the Great Commission who go out into the world to bring others to you that they may know you. Lord, we thank you for being our Savior and our Redeemer. We ask now that you be with us wherever we may be. Give us the strength and the conviction to live as we really ought to live. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Mm -hmm. With that, thank you for joining us. God love you and have a blessed day.